0: Hello you lovely lot, Elaine here. How are you all doing? And welcome to another Persistent and Nasty podcast. Today's episode is the second part with Nellie Kelly. It's just another wonderful conversation. It carries on from where we left off. Myself, Nellie and Louise, we'd all had a little bit of a drink. I continue to finish my bottle of wine. Nellie continues on her double gins louise does leave us at some point to uh, go and have her dinner so it ends up just being myself and nelly it's really interesting really great conversation and we um yeah lots of fun and i'm sure that you are going to enjoy it we wanted to just let you all know that we still have offers running from our sponsors our first one is we edition which um, I'm sure you all are aware of now they really are the future of casting and um, for those of you who are wanting to subscribe to We Edition and become a professional member you can receive 25% off your monthly subscription by typing in NASI all capital letters 25 at checkout. Also for our actor listeners backstage are still running their offer for a free 12 months subscription which is an amazing deal because they're also doing some wonderful workshops at the moment and they've obviously got castings as well and that is if you just follow the link in the bio of this episode for casting directors you can put free castings up on backstage by typing in persistent and nasty all one word at checkout and you will receive your free casting so thank you to our lovely sponsors Back to today's episode um, I hope that you enjoy it uh, Maybe sit down with a gin and tonic If that's your beverage of choice Or a cup of tea You all know how much I love a cup of tea Take care everyone And we will see you on the other side
1: So yes We were going to talk about Nelly, the playwright. Woohoo <laughs> we're Multifaceted mm. Yes yeah, Talk about is. your work Talk about your work if you can. If you want to. Maybe you don't want to. But, you know, here's an opportunity. No. Here's like a
0: platform.
1: To Love to talk about myself. Love Wait. to talk about myself. <laughs> Gia
0: Laldi. Um, <laughs> my, my I feel... everybody. See, this is the thing. I'm kind of in a weird place where... I know that everybody's feeling really miserable about theatre. But I've, I'm kind of like... I, like, I make trans work... Like particularly, especially the play that I'm working on just now anyway, I'm making trans work with this beautiful cast of I've got Mama Wallace wall, I'm counting.
1: Love
0: it. Six, seven, seven. Seven trans and non-binary people. Um yes. and I was kinda like, you know, the chances of it ha I, I don't feel they reduced the chances of it happening. Because I feel like, you know, we need need a few miracles along the way, anyway. Um, hmm. But I'm also, I'm also kind of like, may, maybe it's going to be the best climate for it. Maybe people will actually take a chance because, like, it's. I feel like it will just be really fresh because uh, I've kind of I feel like I've written through transitions for a long time, and the I'm the play that I'm writing for scenes for survival. I feel like that's my send-off of, like, really blue fishes. So it's, it's, like, a really dark scene with a lot of hope at the end. And I feel like, it, it, I mean, it literally... Perfect for like our times. Hope goes yeah. sailing away on a boat. And I'm, like, I feel as if that is actually, like, my, little, my own little metaphor of, like, saying goodbye to, like, all the tragedy and misery that can be written in trans work. Because it, it can just be constant. back um, kind of, after the last play that I wrote Untitled 2009, I think because I worked with a cast that were so like they're just amazing they really like they're so upbeat and like so full of love and totally like it blows me away because I'm I mean I think I, like I am like that myself but you don't see it in yourself but I think mm-hmm. when you see like when you're part of this like amazing group who uh, in so many different ways have had like a really really rough ride just being so like generous like open full of love and like playful it's just really inspiring. So I think after like Untitled Two thousand and nine I like, I just want to make like a pure, like trans euphoric play. Mm. Um, and I have the right cast for it, so I was just like just using the same cast that I was just, I literally reduced to the end of time because they're amazing. Um, and so because Untitled Two thousand and nine was based on a Bible that was in the Gallery of Modern Art that like no one knew about. So, or they did, they knew about it at the time, big time, but it's just very quickly been forgotten about. But like 10 years ago, there was this Bible put in the Gallery of Modern Art and like there was a prompt that was like, if you feel you've been excluded, please write your way in. And was part of this like bigger LGBTQ plus uh, exhibition. But there was like a huge backlash. Even the Pope got involved and was like, this would never happen to the Crown. Great. Do they help Flynn put their Pope? I I Thanks, Francis. Fuck sake, or was it John Francis.
1: Paul or Benedict? Whatever, I don't know. I think know. it was Not John
0: Catholic. Paul. It was John Paul. One of, of the Paul. one of the Beatles. One of the
1: Beatles got involved. I, anyway, yeah. John Paul and Ringo. <laughs> um, John Paul and Ringo.
0: But then, and then there was like this. It was like put behind a glass box, which is hilarious because the whole like biennial thing was on human rights, and then they've literally put it in put it a, a box Act of censorship by putting it in a box. Because they listen to all this hate from the outside. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, I, I I had a great time. Like, I spoke to someone who works at the Gallery of Modern Art who worked there at the time, and actually, like, she was amazingly refre- reflective on it. Like, I think she thought about the shortcomings a lot. And she wasn't even She was on maternity at the time, so she wasn't even part of it. But I think there has been an acknowledgement there that that was just like not the way to have dealt with that at all. But then, so they put a comments book beside it and people wrote in it and it's just all these horrific comments. Like, most of them are just, like, plain racist comments don't even have anything to do with people's sexuality or writing in the Bible. It's literally just this would never happen to the Quran, or, like, Muslims would burn this place to the ground if you did that to the Quran Over and over and over and over. Obviously, there are horrifically, like, homophobic, transphobic, queerphobic things in there, but actually, the bulk of it wasn't even that. Um, So, like... I wrote a verbatimish. I, I took a bit of creative license, but a kind of verbatim <laughs> be too based on this. Um but when I was doing all the research for it into religion, because I used to I was an altar kid. Like I used to be the one on a Sunday in in my wee frock. I I mean to be fair, I'm painting myself as if I was a wee angel. Like the main reason was I used to steal the holy bread and then I'd be like on the playground, like show you know I've got in my pocket, body of Christ. Like, <laughs> And I, but I started doing all this research and like the Bible just started becoming more and more of a parody. Because it actually is. Like, when so you dig deeper and deeper, there's loads of trans or, or could be read as trans people in the Bible. Mm. That are just totally, like, we're just completely forgotten about. Like, We all obviously know Joan of Arc, but the more you look into Joan of Arc, like, you can, you can look at her court testimony. Or, or their court testimony, his court testimony. Um, and like, there's literally, like it gets down to stop dressing in men's clothes or we're going to kill you. Like, we forget everything else. If you stop living your life mm-hmm. the way a man does, it's like, actually, I'm not going to do that. And then gets killed. So, like, yeah, as much as, like you can never see that person is definitely trans. But like, if you're prepared to give your life to live life masculine presenting, surely like you can give a trans reading to that. And then there's like this whole history of uh, monks who sort of seen like way back in Christianity, it was seen as this like really pious thing for a woman to go away and like denounce her womanhood and live as monks, live as men, because you're like one step closer to God because you became a man. What, obviously it was ridiculous I literally was burping as you said that
1: and I muted myself <laughs> and now that sentence finished and I was like I have to unmute myself are you like it's just like of course because <laughs> yeah. you know but if
0: you're not male really... you can be close to your imagined spiritual ag- yeah. spirituality can I speak yeah. spirituality? and then as well so then there's another character that I absolutely love called Wilga Fortis and essentially like it's all rooted in misogyny, but it's just the most hilarious thing because, like, people, like, Christians for so long have completely denounced, like, trans and queer identity. And then through this misogyny, have managed to just make, like, the queerest, transest work of art that ever existed. Like, I, I actually, every time I think about it, it's so funny. But before Fortis was this woman who was, like, I don't want to get married to this guy that my dad's trying to force me to get married to. So she prays to God and is like, God, gotta help me out, do something about this. So she wakes up the next morning and she's like hideous to this man. Oh, it says like she's got a beard, she's hideous to him. Uh, and then her dad's like raging, crucifies her. Like, can he be having you? Do you want a beard, putting you on, putting you on the stake. Right? So she's crucified. But it turns out, like, the more research I've done about this, this this person nev- probably never really existed. And the reason that they made up that story was because they found, like, old statues of Jesus on the cross in a dress and, like, really feminine. And they were like, no, 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 no. This is... We can't have Jesus seen as being this feminine. So we're going to have to make up a story about a woman with a beard on the cross so that nobody doubts Jesus' masculinity. <laughs> like, it's hilarious. It's so wow. funny. And then it's also, can I just add that... I want to say, and that statue was black, guys. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Or personal yeah. colour. Like, Jesus was Defo's, oh, not white.
1: Yeah. I don't think anyone deaf in the Bible was, really was. They we were all, was all a bit smarthy and all of skinned. Oh, Everybody. definitely.
0: Defo's, not white. Definitely not blonde hair. Yeah. Hello. Yeah. Yeah. But the menu, it's, it's just. Like yeah, I think the more research I've done in the Bible honestly, it's because the Bible is officially my favourite book ever. <laughs> I love it. I actually love it because it, like okay. if, if to kill yourself laughing like <laughs> white men, how to do mental gymnastics mm-hmm. to make sure that like their masculinity is not it's the Bible. People are going. To, uh, people are actually going to like come after me. <laughs> no, they're not. Cause Cause the, the greatest who, 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 comedy of all time. So yeah. So essentially, um, I mean, I've only got a working title for it. I'm going to call it Waiting <laughs> for God. Oh. Love it. <laughs> yes. And it's going to be a cabaret. <gasps> Songs. We have. Because also, I think this thing, like when we we're talking about drag earlier, and like gender diversity and drag and all these things like gender diversity and art going hand in hand like queer art is amazing and it's something that's not respected like we don't respect queer art like there's Mm. all these some of the best things that I've ever seen like the things that put me like on the edge of my chair where I'm like oh my god I cannot believe that they're about to do this or like this could go so wrong or just like taking my breath away by how amazing it was have happened and like nice and sleazy or like just dingy little queer bars where people like because you don't have the same strings attached you're literally just mm-hmm. like nah I can try it out and also it's a really great environment everyone is, is has a really like generous attitude where they will hold you and just trying this thing out and I think like yes, yeah, so I wanted to like make I want to make a big show like I want a main stage I want multiple main stages of yeah like Even that like trans joy, but also like just getting just for that trans art to be a contender in like a big space because it's great. Like and trans people are all rounders, they can sing, dance, act, do drag, like all like all of these things. I think when we watch RuPaul, and it's like, oh my god, these people can do everything. Like, go beyond that. Go to the people who really like have much less to lose, and you will see people who like have pushed the limits of their creativity. So now I'm just like I wanna like just very unapologetically put that on a stage for ever like for people to enjoy though. I want people to know that like oh my god,
1: it's, I'm it's, literally like, like bursting us. with excitement and like please can things just get back to normal so yeah. I like, can put this show on. I can't no, I mean I don't know if anyone
0: will fund it now. No, so I'll get funded. funded. we will get
1: there. I'll get funded. Yeah. Oh no, you're bring you're you're in, you're on the inside now. We're bringing down the outside yeah. from the inside and various other things. <laughs> right, we'll make it happen. <laughs>
0: um, I feel like it, my hope is that someone's just going to like put their last wee pot of money on it. Like we've really got to take a risk. I yeah, somebody going to do that. Like, yeah. let's just go for it. That's um um counting on people's desperation. But also, it's that <laughs> thing as well, like artists across the board like whatever your art form is like when we are pushed to our max or there isn't anything the art that we create is usually the best and the most like beautiful and empowering and i just um this is happening i can already see it i've got it in my head i am already like third row watching it losing my actual shit yeah. Going mental, coming out, mm. tweeting the fuck out of it. Even though I'm not actually a fan of Twitter, much yeah. rather the Insta, and be like,
1: "Catch yourself to see the camera. <laughs> yeah,
0: but the thing, that is really, I think, I think the reason that I'm so like passionate because actually, I mean, I'm I'm a very loud, outgoing person, but when it comes to my writing, what? I'm normally like, I know. <laughs> would you believe but I'm normally quite guarded when it comes to my writing I'm normally really really nervous don't really want to talk about it don't really want to share it and then but I think just like the more that I've done trans things being around trans people and also seeing trans people have the exact same like insecurities has just like made me get like really stick my heels in and be like we deserve this like we're constantly it's constantly just reinforced that we we don't We shouldn't have that platform and we'll never get that platform. So we never expect it for ourselves because we know we're always going to be disappointed. I think I've just got really firm in being like, we deserve this and you have to support us and you have to give us time. And you have to have, a like, all you need to do from there is take a seat and enjoy it. Like, that's all we're asking. But, like, we absolutely should be there, especially, like, with the cast. Like, because they're totally, like, there's so many different personalities and experiences in the cast. Um, like we've got Adam who everyone knows, and then like our oldest cast member, Sorry, Sadie. Sorry, I
1: just say you gonna just say that you said Adam and Louise and I both just were like, ah oh. <laughs> it's like sweetheart. Virtual hugs, literally yeah. virtual hugs. Sorry, like, oldest member got, of the cast.
0: We've got Sadie, who very proudly declares that she's in her seventh decade. Like Yes, Sadie. Like, but there's so many different um people and experiences and bodies that we don't see on stage mm-hmm. and like they're just this amazingly really, like confident group who help each other and totally rock in that and it and like because it was a takeaway from Untitled like people were just like where did you get that cast who are that cast all we done was put out an open call and we didn't stretch it very far we literally stuck it up on like Facebook and Twitter like are you trans non-binary like hey, this do is, you have this. any were they all from Scotland um, well they all they all lived in Scotland. The whole, so the only yeah. thing in the call out, the only thing in the call-out that we had was that people had to be trans, non-binary, gender non or gender conforming based in Scotland, which was also a practical thing because it wasn't like Scottish or based in Scotland because you can't afford anyone who was yeah. not based in Scotland. Um, and yeah, that, that, that was a whole call-out. So yeah, they're all I just like the reason I ask that is I think that a lot of times people can turn around and go oh there isn't a huge amount of a what is the word I'm looking for there isn't an an, maybe an interest or there isn't the audience there or because there aren't that and that's bullshit
1: so I just like
0: I really wanted to just like so you've got a cast of what 23 did you say? no, no, no. So we had 26 people at the, the audition workshop day. We've got a cast of seven, but also, right, think how small the trans community is. Yeah. yeah. In that cast of seven, there are people of colour, there are people with disabilities, there are people with neurodiversities, there are uh, like people of various ages, like, shapes and sizes. Yeah. Yep. Marrowing it the niche of trans people and you can find that. Like, how? How can anyone say, it, like, if, if you're not taking that? Because we make up a very small percentage of also, Scotland.
1: And what's extraordinary about that is that we're constantly told from the mainstream in terms of, like, industry chat that casting large ensembles or whatever is too difficult. It, you can't do it. So not only mm-hmm. did you do it, but you did yeah. it in a way that was authentic and incredibly diverse so it's a real big like na na na. proof is in proof is in the, the fact is. that this is done and it was done yeah. simply and straightforwardly and you've got no excuse
0: yeah see that's basically what i wanted to say but
1: louise <laughs> 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 and i yeah. am nearly a bottle so, like i think I, I have so much because
0: i go on about this as if somehow I created that like I absolutely <laughs> did not I'm just, like I'm so lucky that I came into contact with uh, Queen Jesus Productions who are just even just so they, they're they partnering with the scenes for survival that I wrote like because I was like this like these are the people that I absolutely need in my corner for this mm-hmm. um, and they're just so good at being like but what do you want like is uh-huh. this what you really want because if you want something different, like, we'll fight tooth and nail to get you it.
1: And it's, oh, like wonderful. Annabelle oh Cooper,
0: it's, like, Annabelle Cooper, who is the producer at Queen Jesus, is just my favourite human, because she goes, how do we get more out of this? Because originally, when I was supposed to be writing Untitled, the suggestion was that I had a cast of four, like, mm. at, at the, the biggest push a cast of five, and, and really that, that feels unfeasible. And somehow, like she just because when it got to the point where because we had six originally and then we had to have someone on, um, and Annabelle was just like, I mean, we'll just we'll just see we need it, like because you you need it, so we'll we'll work it out. And it's yes, like, Annabelle, yes, Cogan. But that's so what it love should be. though like, she's phenomenal. Yeah. But that's what it should be, though, because the art and the artists need that support. Mm -hmm. because what they're what we're given to everybody else is so vital and so important and like you know I think a lot of the time people can be really dismissive of the art of like you know it's just it's just fluff Mm -hmm. but actually the stories that artists tell are can be life-altering just because it may not be life-altering for you who's watching Mm -hmm. it it's life-altering for the person five doors down or it's life-altering like you know like those things are really so important and also what I find at the moment like so you know like Plymouth Royal Plymouth shut down yesterday which is just like one of the biggest producing houses outside of London in the UK which is super like it's just so so sad but it's just like we've been in lockdown for three months what have people done in those three months they've watched Netflix they've watched Amazon they've watched BBC they've watched ITV they've read books they've listened to music they've looked at art they have listened to poetry read poetry they've listened to audiobooks they've listened to the radio do you know the the statistics for radio have jumped Hmm. by something ridiculous like 35 percent and it's just like right okay so that that was me just listing like 11 things right there, but the arts aren't important.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I haven't even
0: co- commented on like fucking graphic design and comic books and gaming and etc.
1: etc. etc. And then when you, when you factor in what Nelly's been talking about, which is just like just put diverse stories on stage and you'll see joy, that's what but will also, happen.
0: Yeah, see with see Untitled as well, the like absolute most exciting thing. So when it first went on at the Tron. Like the balcony had been cut off because, like, it because it was a rehearsed reading on a Saturday afternoon, in like in the main auditorium, and I told them they were like mad for putting it in the main auditorium. I was like, why? Like, like, please, please, for my sake, put it in. The put gym. me in the changing house. Put yeah. me in the changing house. Um, <laughs> um, for those of you who don't know, the changing house is a smaller studio space in the town, <laughs> not literally a changing house. <laughs> Um <laughs> Annabelle Cooper again, and and Joe and Susan the uh Queen Jesus were would absolutely not have it. But they had to they had to open the balcony. They totally sold it out. Like and it just but the, the exciting thing about it wasn't like especially with rehearsed readings, right? We've all been there at a rehearsed reading where actually the reason that people are at the rehearsed reading is because they know there's a Q&A where they can talk about how much they know. <sighs>
1: It's very cool if you
0: you just think, oh, tonight I really fancy hearing the sound of my own voice. (laughs) I've been there, I have been that person. I feel like anybody who says in theatre that they've never never thought, I'm just going to say this thing that actually probably isn't that helpful, but I just want to say it. If they say they've never done it, they're a liar. are you saying when you were one of our speakers that you <laughs> <laughs> any platform you give me I will use it but right so that is the people who you expect to be there so I was like you know we don't have enough of them to fill out an entire odd storeroom. um but it wasn't it was like like it was a trans community and don't get me wrong I pretty much sent a lot of emails out and was like please show up for this because if trans people start coming to the theatre and the theatre sees that they're going to have to think seriously about this but they like totally showed up and not because their hands were tied like they just and they really enjoyed it for a lot of them it was the first time they'd ever been there and also having like friends like kind of talk about intersectionality and support for each other and stuff like one of the loveliest things for me was like I used to volunteer at Scottish Action for refugees and someone who like used to come and use that like came along and then there was a whole kerfuffle where someone's like oh I think your friend's at the desk and like did you put a ticket behind for them and actually it was just confusion because they'd never been to the theatre and they were trying to buy a ticket but they didn't know how to buy a ticket and the person thought that they thought they had a comp and like just all these kinds of things and I'm like this is like this is what we should be excited about and this is what we should be trying Mm -hmm. to bring in um and I was really scared as well because that pair, like no well that person didn't really say say much about it but like there were other friends I had through like um just through completely different routes who were Muslim friends and the play couldn't avoid talking about uh, Talking about Islam because it was like, it was so. I felt like I was, I felt kind of stuck in the sense that if I didn't speak about it, I was completely erasing it because it was such a huge part of this exhibition. um And I had to speak to like our own racism, especially in Glasgow where we just think we don't have a problem all the time. Oh my fucking god. Um, and we, like, I think the protests at Joy Square will, will show us that, like, uh-huh. oh my, like, we have the worst problem. Ever, um, so I, I was well, like, "Well, they're not getting to... their walk, so you know." But I just yeah. felt like if I didn't speak about and it, and I it see racist. that as somebody who was raised Protestant, and you, they can come at me all they want, and I will <laughs> absolutely like not that. I totally, I'm not go to church.
1: Oh, we have to keep um, going. I was like, Louise, but... getting her dinner, guys. She's leaving <laughs> us. She's not. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think like if
0: I didn't speak about it, it just felt really racist. It felt mm-hmm. absolutely silenced in that aspect. Um, but it also felt like like how do you use your voice to to do that without mm-hmm. erasing other people's voices. So I ended up I mean I got a lot of amazing help um from some really lovely people a charity called Tadaya, which is like an LGBT plus um Muslim charity to speak about that. But it was just really nice I think for people to come along and be like, I was actually really nervous about how you were going to handle that. Mm. I thought it might be terrible, but like, I think it handled it pretty well. And so like, it took me wrong. There were, there were some aspects of it that they had challenged me on. Um, but overall, we're like, I like, I I, I enjoy this. And I, I think that. Yeah, but that's what theatre should be like, though, right? Like mm-hmm. nobody's going to make the perfect piece of theatre because if that's the
1: case, then we'll never make theatre again.
0: And I made, uh, like, the thing is as well, because I feel like i focused a lot of energy in getting so many different things right, that one of the things that I really kicked myself over was, because um, some of the comments I sort of had altered the language to be more fitting of now, um, particularly around gender and how, like, the terms that we use for trans people and stuff. Um, but one of the terms that I'd left in to this verbatim thing, I would, I mean, I would never use this language kind of if I wasn't doing verbatim but like there was a thing about prostitution and the way that they like phrase prostitution I would never say prostitution like I'd always like I think using like the right terms and like taking the weeds on that from sex workers is so important but because it was verbatim I just never ever thought about it and put it in and then we had feedback forms and I was just like really kicking myself just like I just put so much effort into getting it right that I just completely missed this thing but I don't see and I can get why you feel that way like totally but also it is verbatim and if you're creating verbatim theater yeah. like I think it has to be whatever that person said and because also it was, then th- that makes us challenge ourselves yeah. like so that's making so like you know you now are bringing that up that hopefully somebody's going to listen to this podcast and be like who might possibly be calling a sex worker still a prostitute, and be like, "Oh fuck, I didn't actually think that had changed." Yeah. Okay, I need to reevaluate my language. Yeah. Whereas if you hadn't done that, and then had that that question of yourself yeah. and reevaluation of yourself, you wouldn't be having this conversation right now yeah. with us. For, I mean, I don't know. Maybe that yeah. again. Hi there. But I think it's I think it's just that like consciously doing it. Like if I had consciously made the decision. To, to use, I mean I don't think it's my word to use so it's kind of complicated in that sense and I think the thing is if it was fully verbatim there would be more of a reason for it but because, because i would sort of taken out really like, like racial terms that could have been triggering for people, okay. terms through gender that could be triggering for people, I think it was just something I dropped the ball on. But also like we're working on a lot of different fronts and I think the problem is we're all too scared to get things wrong
1: oh yeah. like, my god I absolutely got that wrong and I need to own up to that yeah and I am more than, than happy to, to get things wrong like I am
0: um, but oh my god that whole we're terrified to get things wrong it could not be more true those of yeah. us that give a shit I have to say yeah. people that don't like they couldn't give a flying fuck but um those of us who actually care and are trying to be better allies across the board
1: terrified to get it wrong oh yeah that's big it's a big um barrier for just for learning guys i'm gonna have to go i'm gonna go because it's been a long long chat it's you been
0: know. great it's been a
1: great chat <laughs> um, uh, but you guys keep tell talking it's just i'm gonna go <laughs> i mean nelly i'm happy to keep talking about your work and have another drink <laughs> yeah. great okay okay i but, love you both um, i love you but Elaine, you can edit this and make it beautiful. It's probably we'll a two-parter. This, it, oh, it's definitely a yeah. two-parter. Yeah. <laughs> Nelly, I love you. You give my soul so much happy, and I cannot wait to see you in the pub. At some yeah. Point. Oh my god! I'm gonna wait. Please. Get to the pub. <laughs> and like, be inappropriately tactile with you, and like, yeah, yeah That's it's cool. gonna be great. I'm, yeah. I'm in it. <laughs> right. Um, all right, give my to love to all people and. Uh, I will see you guys soon. I'm going to go. It I love isn't. you. Actually, um,
0: so your next project for NTS is Scenes for Survival. Yeah? hmm Give us a little bit of info on that. Um, Cover <laughs> up my boobs. <laughs> fix yourself.
1: It's um,
0: <laughs> yeah. So it's, a, it's a bit of a weird one. Um, I think it dropped at a weird time because I had a very short time to write it. Like two weeks to put it together, obviously put it off to the night before I had to submit it because who doesn't? Um, <laughs> but also, so I was kind of like, How do I write this? and then the day before I pulled an all nighter to write it because that's just her right, uh, was when J wasn't when Jackie Ryland had posted her essay, but it was okay. like. It was on the Sunday after the Saturday where she obviously she tweeted had many she had too many glasses away <laughs> and thought and somebody you know, should have taken her phone off her but I, I, she fucked went him. To go for it um, and posted about people who menstruate which like well no she's not liked any more time in her life but anyway so I was writing it the next but day I after actually it. do though that whole thing is like the most. I think it's the most offensive thing to anybody that identifies as female because whether you were born with female genitalia or not, Mm -hmm. not everybody who was born with female genitalia still menstruates. So what when you hit menopause, you're no longer a woman. Or if you have had to have a hysterectomy um, at 25, you're no longer... Female,
1: or you were born female, but weren't born with a womb. Yeah,
0: but also I think like even even aside from that, I think.
1: Sorry, argue, that was just like my
0: thing of like on that. Sorry, uh, yeah, no, that's but like she, not. Like she could she could argue that's not what she was saying by saying people who menstruate because people we're who menstruate in her saying. mind. No, 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 no. I don't even like like because she was so same people. Who menstruate, because in her mind, people who menstruate are women, right? And we can we can go further than that and say what she means is people who don't menstruate aren't women, right? But she didn't yeah. actually say that. So even if you just, like, if we just go back to purely her comment,
1: mm-hmm.
0: like, it just shows, it just smacks of this hypocrisy because then she goes on an essay and she says, I'm just really fearful for these these for these poor women who think they're men and blah, 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 blah. Like, it has... It, it, posting that thing about people who menstruate and like ridiculing it and being like obviously women like if if your sole purpose in that is to speak out to defend women who could be abused by men why are you targeting people like specifically people who menstruate who aren't women because even if in your mind like it just, it has nothing to do with safety. It has absolutely nothing to do with safety because you're not, you have not said that you are at risk from non-binary people, from trans men, from trans masculine people. So like, what you're actually saying is, i like, I'm just transphobic. Has n- that has mm. nothing to do with men infiltrating spaces as they go, actually, this is what it's all about. But here's this thing that it's so evidently not about, like... It's, I know, but anyway. So, yeah. so that dropped, and then. <laughs> so that <laughs> dropped. That <laughs> dropped, and then I had that to. Dropped. I had to write. Write a play and a night. Um, I had to write a play. <laughs> I mean, I oh,
1: actually did. Like,
0: by by wow. that point, by that point, I'd I'd been given the best part of my commission to do so. So I had to write one anyway. Oh shit! I need to write a um, play. <laughs> but, I, so the play is quite dark in the sense that I kind of started, as working through my feelings about um J.K. Ryland and what she stands for and all of those people. <laughs> uh, and it takes quite a dark turn. And okay. I thought it's not really, like, I feel like it's not helpful for me to kind of keep, keep going with this idea. Like, or to Kind of put the nail in the coffin that trans people are really violent <laughs> I think <it's laughs> quite a dark thing where I was clearly very much like like fuck you well I mean 30 minutes ago I was ready to go and fucking smash exactly. it so don't worry about it um so the, but then I actually we are violent as human beings though this is like such a thing though and we hide but away anger from is it fine. like anger is fine and I think uh-huh. the problem is part of like white supremacist colonial patriarchy as, oh. as I will go back to constantly is this yeah. idea that like anger is negative because like, it's, it's literally just to keep you censoring yourself in your own oppression like it is oh my god um totally you should be angry and like, you shouldn't just be angry about your own issues. You be angry about, about, like, like, like if you're things. not looking at the world right now and being angry, like, yeah. what the fuck are you, like, you're, that, I mean, that is privileged to the hill, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if you're not looking out in the world and being like, our children are having to depend on food banks for their dinner, our nurses are working, so hard that they can't even function and are actually some of them are having to go to food banks yeah. or are you know like all of that like how are you how can you not Yep, it's totally like I it's <laughs> I feel like I, I was a proper punk at heart as a teenager I always remember like latching on to I can't even. oh it's totally left me the name of band now but like sex lessons yeah, yeah, I, I was gonna say that garbage but I you totally wrong. It's been a long time since I've been quite as I'm one of those people that like I'll be so invested in a thing and then I'll move on and just all my knowledge falls out my head. But essentially when I was younger I had like see that, that lyric anger is an energy. Mm. It's playing over and over in my head. I still think about it a lot like But it probably because is, I have a lot of anger, which is great. It's just how knowing how to use it, like I feel like it gets me up in the morning <laughs> and when you actually look at the people telling you not to be angry like the problem is we don't look at them and go why are you telling me that mm. and actually break that down and generally the people telling you that you shouldn't be angry are the people in the privileged position who, who don't know where you're coming from like because the people who understand they get it and they go like like for instance, in the trans community, I think particularly with younger trans people, when you get and they're angry. and it's really like negatively affecting their life. Mm-hmm. Like that is that is not an anger that is is good because t- it will just totally consumes you. Or anger that you put like because also there's a lot of abusive situations in in our community as well. Like it happens everywhere. And again, that is not a helpful anger. But I think the problem is that we go we can't we can't have anger when it's not it's like what do we do with that anger yeah like how do we use that to fuel us in a positive way because yeah. if we don't that's when like things like abuse start happening like it's I think it's different in it, the more privileged you go why anger is used as an abusive force but I think in, in terms of marginalized groups quite often we don't have we don't have an outlet mm. for it and, it's, and it and it and becomes really toxic so it's why I think it's all the more important to be like you should be angry like it makes perfect sense you're angry now use it and use it to help other people and remind yourself that like you're feeling angry your life is tough someone else's is 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 going to be worse like yeah so don't have anyone like like don't let anyone tell you not to be angry and then decide what you're going to do that anger decide what you're going to do that anger Yeah. I mean, make sure you're safe, guys, and whatever you're going to do with the anger. But it's the whole thing is fascinating, isn't it, though? Because it's like, just as you were talking there, I've got this whole thing about the patriarchy, and I use that as such a broad term, but it really is the control by white rich men who not in their defense, but who they don't know any better because they've seen it from generations before them. And it's, there's a a fear with them of how they move forward, of losing things when actually there is more than enough for all of us. It's this thing that's been created of there isn't enough for anyone. (laughs) Right, and it's like, but there's more than enough for all of us. And like, it's what just, percentage of the world hold the most wealth? It what, like six percent? Yeah, five percent of under, the world. I mean, it's under ten percent. I'm probably plucking it out. No, no, you're not. It's five five percent of the world on five percent of the world own ninety five percent of the wealth. It's right. damn smart. Like to have us all fighting amongst ourselves for five percent oh of the wealth, or having us too scared to lose the privileges we have within that five percent are you kidding oh my god you, like oh. they've made they've made us really um fearful of each other mm-hmm. that's exactly what they've done they've made us fearful of each other and as you said earlier like if we all banded together they'd be screwed (laughs) like literally
1: they would be
0: so fucking screwed but I do think I think the thing that really really steps in our way with that and I think it's something that especially in Scotland we all really need to start confronting is the ignorance we have where Mm. we're like like you know we are we're all in this together we have like is it especially in Glasgow it's a really Glaswegian attitude you know we're all in it together we're all friendly like but what we're not confronting is the fact that like some of us have to do it's like the, the whole kind of feminist talk of like emotional labour right around around housework mm-hmm. that's what I see it in my head mm-hmm. like you because that person is is so like wrapped up in themselves of not doing that it's easier just to do the thing like yeah I'm not going to explain to you how to do it because it's going to take me more time to do that so I'll just do the thing
1: mm-hmm. and
0: like I think kind of That is such a Scottish maw and such a Scottish granny thing to just do. I can't be arsed telling you how to do it. I'm going to moan at the fact that you don't do it, but I'm just then going to do it. But the thing is, like, all that kind of emotional labour thing, like, it's such a sexist thing where, Uh, like, men so often get off time and time again because they're like, oh, like, that kind of willful ignorance of doing these things so that they're done for them. But I think we need to apply our understanding of that which we've understood quite recently in the past few years and apply it to like Scotland's attitude of race of transphobia all these kinds of things where we all go like oh we're all in this together we're all pals but actually some of us have got to start doing bloody work because like yeah. people are having people who are marginalized are having to do it for themselves time and time yeah. and time again like they're time. the ones up and like, yeah, we need, we need to start doing the dishes in Scotland. That's what we <laughs> need to do. Everybody, like, if you've not ate your turn... Like, come on, it's. guys. It's your fucking turn. And I mean, and I say all that, you know, and it's so funny because, like, on um, social media, and I'm sure you've seen this, the whole fact that Scotland's going to be the first country in the world to um, have LGBTQ history as part of the curriculum. Amazing. I am... Um, I couldn't be more proud of my country on that. But also I'm a bit like, guys, it's 2020 and that's now just it. But also also, in the same breath, I'm like, why are we not discussing our cultural heritage on the fact that we, most of our cities in Scotland's wealth is based on the slave trade? But Scotland had more of a hand in the slave trade than most of Britain. Yeah. (laughs) And it's like, let's... uh, uh, oh, no, I'm hiding my face. Yeah. And it's this thing that I think people have. Maybe I'm wrong. And I could be totally wrong, but white people are like, yeah, but that's not me, that's not me. Nobody's saying that's you. Nobody is saying that's you. What what people are saying is like, and what I am saying is, as a white Scottish female, I... Turn around and I go, Yeah, I live in Glasgow and my city's wealth is based on the slavery of black people. And I need to educate myself on that. And I need to realize that. And I need to help fight that. See, I think I'm a lot harsher because people are like, Yeah, but that's not me, that's not me. I'm like, the people doing that, that absolutely is you. Like, it is you. You are part of that, you have benefited from that like it absolutely is you even like because I think like over the past couple of years I think I have put a lot of work into trying to read about race and understand it more and I also think like as a person with autism like a lot of that comes from like an insecurity to challenge things like I have seen things I should have challenged and I didn't and I, I, I think a part of that is the communication can be harder for me particularly in the moment particularly if it's like a heightened moment
1: mm-hmm. so
0: I I think the kind of safety for me was like if I really know my stuff with this then I will be in a position where I feel yeah. like I can I can do this but also autism isn't an excuse like the amount but you know ten- you're not making an excuse I also I'm sorry keep no, going because I want to so, ask your question but it's so important to say that before before you ask because actually, like, I've seen things with, like, Elon Musk and, like, all these kind of rich white men who are, some of them not even, like, diagnosed autistic, like, read as autistic, like, having their racism excused because they don't understand, like, and actually, like, the people who have autism who are doing the work are sitting over here, like, like, autism does not make you racist. Stop now. Like, it's so... But it's literally, like, saying if you're female, then, like, that doesn't make you racist (laughs) bullshit. Or if you're, (laughs) like, yeah. yeah. Um, And I'm really interested, and I hope this is okay to ask, and if it isn't, please tell me. um, And I can cut it out, or I'm happy to leave it in with me being, like, maybe naive on this question. But having been somebody who was born female... Mm-hmm. and you're the first part of your life you grow up with that do you think that the fact that you don't challenge things has an impact on that oh absolutely and I think because even though I, I kind of live in a, a weird middle realm um like I've been thinking a lot about this because like I definitely feel like I always access like women's spaces or I used to and then I stopped and now I kind of do more get involved in like women and feminist spaces and the reason that I stopped was never because I was like that space is, is like I shouldn't get to have that space it's more like the minute I enter that space my entire identity is invalidated time and time again and a lot of the times by well-intentioned people who go you're in a woman's space therefore you are a woman and the problem is that we haven't opened those spaces up because yeah. It's really important to be non-binary inclusive in that. Yeah, because I like i never I've am very I'm only ever seemed to be read as a man if it's for people to chuck hate at me. Like I don't think I read as a man ever unless someone wants me at their bathroom. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this this is so this fucking toilet. <laughs> um, but yeah, and it, like the thing is, I think for non-binary people like we face the absolute same struggle regardless of whether we're assigned female at birth or assigned male at birth yeah like we're going through that same struggle and that and it causes us the same issues and it's why we absolutely need to be part of that conversation yeah they just yeah I'm kind of I think back I just to- asked that question on that thing of like um yeah. tends to be women um yeah and not like and that doesn't mean that it's not um but people people socially conditioned as women are are taught not to challenge these things thank you yeah. yes yes see but also um, it's it's good, but right I think on my because i'm still learning and like you know and i it's like we said earlier fucking terrified to make a mistake which is why i was yeah. like oh my god um like but yeah you're right like those that are conditioned to be women and, and mm-hmm all of that yeah. that is forced on us from such a fucking young age like but even like I've only very 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 recently been diagnosed with autism and like when I started looking at the history of that how horrific it is because like so many people who are socially conditioned as women just, will just never be diagnosed or will mm-hmm. be diagnosed in adulthood because the entire diagnostic criteria. Has been based around young boys on boys, yeah. And, I... and o- only now they're like, oh wait, it actually manifests itself totally differently. And also, like a lot of the time we just don't notice it at all because people who've been socially conditioned as women mask it. They're able to go, I yeah. need to prevent this thing, yeah. but actually, like because I feel like I go into a room and people people don't go, oh, okay, they they have autism, but like I'm just there like with a face on it, like everyone else going. I I have no understanding of any of the social etiquette in this room right now. I think I, I think I see myself as overcapable. I feel like there are many times I take on a situation where I can see like years being taken off Molly's life. She's like, why? Stop it, you're not invincible. But like I would argue that like oh, my brain Molly. just works in a completely different way. Like I'm just everybody else is on the same page and I'm somewhere somewhere over a completely different space. But because I have autism as a socially, like, re-socially as a woman. Like, I didn't know that until I got diagnosed. And they were like, (laughs) in the diagnosis, just like little things where I'm like, oh my God, people, like, people with neurotypical brains can do that. Like, they were asking me about, um, like, what my brother does at weekend. Mm -hmm. And me and my brother are really, really close. And I was like, I watch telly. Like, what sort of shows does he watch? So... R- RuPaul because we spoke about that once like and Molly was sitting beside me like oh you know we we'll probably like have a rehearsal with band maybe have a gig maybe go a nice wee date with Sarah and I was like wait people can imagine what other people do in their spare time and just like little things like that where I'm like because yeah. I've had to mask this and because it's not been evident like I'm now, only now having the understanding that people live their lives in a completely, diff- a completely different inner way Idea, which is, so but then, strange. it's so strange. But then you say that though, and I can like, and not like, I'm like, I know people who make up complete fantasies for other people. Yeah, and like you could say that to somebody, I'm like, that's fucking weird. Yeah, like but you know, even- like I see somebody going past in the street, and I see them, and I'm yeah. like, okay, that's your third marriage. Yeah. First marriage ended in divorce because you cheated. Second marriage was to a gay man yeah. like you know like just like that whole but thing weirdly, like, but I weirdly this whole story weirdly, but weirdly I can do that that's I mean I'm a writer that's something that I can yeah well yeah. Do. yeah but it's to do with like when you hear information about people your brain will like just sort of take it in by osmosis so you yeah can compile an image of like someone's likes and interests and all this stuff by that osmosis whereas like you need to tell me that you like this thing for me to know that you like something So it's totally registered in the brain, right? Got yeah. It's so weird, and I think no, but I I, I totally get that. Like, not the same, remotely the same. But I'm dyslexic, so it's like if you're not really clear with me, then like, and Steve gets so annoyed because I'm so scatty, and like I'll start one conversation, as you've noticed on this podcast, and then I'll go off on another tangent, and then I'll come back to whatever it was, or like mess doesn't bother me Mm -hmm. like it's a really big and like people are like why 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 I'm like because I know where that is it's underneath that book which is underneath that pillow which is underneath that whatever and people are like how can you live like that and I'm like because it's for me it's visual so if I remember where something is I can find it and blah 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 yeah not remotely the same as
1: autism because obviously that's totally different but But just like
0: but it, in itself is neurodiversity. Like, I feel yeah. like people just totally, with things like dyslexia, go, oh, well, that doesn't actually impact on your life. <laughs> that impacted on you writing a story in school. Get over it. Like, there is that attitude. That totes impact on <laughs> my life. Yeah, like, it does. Of course it does. But also, again, it's downplayed in women or people who are socially conditioned as yeah. well. Totally. especially things that like really impact in different ways a lot of the time um on women who are socially conditioned as people who are socially conditioned as women it's just like yeah total minefield but it's like a total minefield. phase I kind of love partly having that diagnosis in adult life because I'm kind of like oh my god like I'm the, the, um, walking about in a lonely world like everything is different because things like are finally making sense and like I, well I say that but it's a deep like there's, it's actually a real shame that like it's happened now so many people live up until this point or so many people never get diagnosed and like mm. I, th- I kind of feel like, like um, Hannah Gadsby puts it perfectly because Hannah Gadsby has autism and have been a, breathing
1: out and putting a love heart on my heart. Like, literally.
0: There's an, oh an in- there's an interview where she's talking about getting diagnosed with autism and what that means to her. And she was like, e- essentially, like, I kind of, up until this point, I felt like I was sort of at the starting line of of being an adult, like, constantly trying to get over that start line and to become an adult and to just adult and do these things. And, like, having that diagnosis made me mean that, like, there's just things that I can't do. It's just, like things that I need to do different or I can't do and actually my brain's just different and like the cause of misogyny so many people like will miss out on that opportunity Mm -hmm. like I could never have held down a job at NTS and like sustained like the stuff that I'm doing now as a writer without that without understanding that like actually there's some things that I just need to do different or just Mm -hmm. need to not do and have someone do for me Right. isn't it so like I just it. find it fascinating because nobody's brain is the same no matter what we're at wherever we're at nobody's brain is the same and we've been conditioned to believe that there is one set of rules of like how things are educated and how things work for people and it, therefore if you don't fit into that then it doesn't work but actually that is one of the biggest forms of propaganda ever yep. invented but even see when it see the play that I'm writing now one of the most exciting things about it was like, so I did like a one-to-one with everyone because I'm really lucky to like already have the cast. And one of the questions was like, that I wanted to ask was like, if, if we go by this idea that everyone has access needs, like regardless of who you are or whether you have a disability, diversity, what mental health issue, whatever it is, like if you, if we just say that absolutely everyone has access needs, which are something like, things that make it, like, optimal conditions for them to work within, like, what would you say yours are? And, like, everybody, when they get to think about it, is, like, oh, this thing would would be really nice, and it's really simple things. Mm-hmm. It's, like, I'm a person who works at quite a fast pace, so if we're working at a slower pace, can we maybe have a couple of breaks in between? Like, it's not, <laughs> it's not big mountains and stuff that you've got to spend yeah. your fortune on. It's literally, t- like, people ask for these really, small easy but obviously like the more people like if someone has a disability or like someone has neurodiversity someone has mental health issues that like it does take a lot more time to get those things right and you've got a plan and a lot of the time you've got to put more money in but right. like but aside from that like if you remove someone like someone's access needs for their disability they're still going to have access needs as a person just for their exactly. general well-being and usually those things are really easy to yeah. To give them. So like, but I think it's something that we, we never really think about, like writing access. It's like really exciting <laughs> to get to write a play that takes people's access needs on board. I love it. Dead exciting. Yeah, you're
1: absolutely right. I don't think it is thought about.
0: Is it, I think, no, that's not fair um, because there are loads of companies that do think about it. Yeah. Um, but I mean, in a general that, sense. Like, but in a general sense, not, yeah, absolutely. If it's not like, a play about like someone with a disability, for example, then access needs aren't considered. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's totally, it's so often so discriminating because what you're saying is, like, a disabled person can't play this. A neurodiverse person can't play this. Like, you have to write from a point of access so that anyone, like, so the most talented person in the room can play that. And, like, the reason that people see the most talented person in the room as being like this able bodied white pe- like person of a certain brand mm-hmm. is because they write to that, like, yeah, so often, yeah. so often that's what it's written to. And, like, again, I feel like I'm repeating myself, but it's like that thing of like females really should understand that way more than they than some do because that's what we are pitted against all the time and what we've been fighting for for such a long time. So, how can we not then see that from other for other people. Like I just don't under I don't get it.
1: I don't get yeah. it. I don't get it. Anyway,
0: oh my god, Nelly, I what could I talk to up? you for literally ever. <laughs> I love dogs. a great, right? Oh, yeah, Imagine. it's so great. Plus, really like, like I am nearly a bottle of Rosie down, and it's all good. Um, it's actually quite really strong. I know you wanted. it. anyway. Before we finish, I think there's a couple of things, like there's two questions I want to ask you. Mm-hmm. So one of them is, what does persistent and nasty mean to you? Which we've, we've been asking loads of people about. And then the other one is, who is your um, beacon of hope? There we go. Yeah, uh, so persistent nasty, to me, I, I mean, I think like everything I associate it with queer, all the good things I associate with queer culture. Um, yeah, I think particularly with all the kind of stuff that trans people are facing right now, uh, persistent is a really like hopeful term for me because I feel like, yeah, we just are like, we're not going away. Um and persistently supporting particularly trans femme people who are in much more danger, um, trans people of colour. So, yeah, it feels like a positive term. What we're talking about, anger as an energy. Like, mm-hmm. persistent is associated with that for me. Yeah. Using, using that anger to, to make sure that, that we're counted and that people are given space and yeah to just live. and <laughs> yeah. Just to live. A safe life yeah that's what persistent means um and nasty for me kind of feels like that shake up of it like what what I do with um crazy gay where I mean the act that I do with crazy gay is vulgar like it is vulgar um, yes. I think I think the thing about it is Part of my part of experiencing queer joy for me is like the fact you can just do that. Like Mm. the people who hate you are already hating you anyway. yeah (laughs) Um, and you can't you just get away with it. Like especially if you're making queer work in queer spaces. Like we're all getting paid fifty quid if you're lucky and it's by (laughs) queer people. Like we totally facilitate our own art all the time. So you get to just do what you want. So nasty for me makes me think of like like queer theory, which is one of my favourite nights that happens in Glasgow and nice and sleazy <laughs> some of the stuff that you see it's like yeah. I love it, I love it, I love filth yeah. and who doesn't really <laughs> yeah and then beacon beacon your beacon of hope See, so yeah beacon's really hard because I think I think I kind of have it go, can I have two beacons of hope absolutely so I have my beacon of hope that like keeps me going absolutely yes 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 so basically I've just kind of looked at you and gone. No, I'm asking Nellie about beacon of hope because it just feels right yeah. so yeah go for it so I've got beacon of hope going, like my, my my guided light mm-hmm. which is the absolutely incredible Joe Clifford I'm just like you're like the stuff that I so we love this- you she was doing ten years ago, in a much scarier climate, and I'm just like, she's came out the other end as this is like beautiful, amazing, yeah. lovely person, and I just kind of yeah, I look at her and I go, no matter how bad it gets, like you are and as well, because she's is so generous with her time to me. Like she's really, mm-hmm. really generous, and, and she guides me quite a lot in a very practical sense. But I just always look at her and I think like. You are this lovely, so
1: I feel like yeah. at the end
0: of it all, I'm not going to be a horrible, terrible shell of a goblin person.
1: Um, Never.
0: <laughs> I think you sometimes feel like that when you have like so much uh, negative stuff coming at you. You think I just to turn into this like horrible thing because that weighs down on you, and you just want yeah. to be like, oh, I'm going to be an asshole to everyone. Um. So she, like, yeah, and sometimes it's she kind of says stuff where like. She won't, like, check me, but she'll just say a thing about, like, that's just so filled with love that I'm, like, going to remind myself, like, that I can't, I just cannot let it totally take over me and make me want to go and, like, just drag everybody out their heads and batter them. <laughs> <laughs> she's my biggest, be- she's, she's the one that keeps me morally in check and gives me hope that I'll, I'll remain a good person. And then the oh, other... You are. The other beacon of hope is just, like, younger people in general. Like, I love young people. And like, me like, They're so, like, on point and really, like... Oh my God. Yeah. Just, I think, particularly when I work with younger people, I'm, like, I feel like I'm so embarrassed that I am not, like, they're, for want of a better term, so often just pure woke. And I'm, like, that is not me. I feel like a pure granny when I'm beside them.
1: Like... Oh. If you feel like a granny, I am like a great granny then, and I'm
0: always like, and again again but it's exciting, like I feel like you know I love it, yeah they give me they give me hope. the younger generation really inspire yeah. me, and their passion and their fight for justice, yeah. like they I remember, believe so I remember much I'm going to see I think a beautiful moment with theater and like hope was going to see Johnny McKnight's Panto, where it's like the gay couple, was beautiful. Yeah. And Molly was oh my god, Molly was crying through the whole thing. Yeah. But there's like this like adorable weird group of girls behind us. And like the whole time like not telling his mum and they're only like they were about six just screaming. Like, you t- tell them you're gay, tell them, like and just things like that. And I'm just like that like, it's just, it gives me a lot of hope. And the like, last two years at Johnny McKnight's panel in the Tron, this is the Tron Theatre for those of you that are listening. Like, um, so he had a gay relationship and then a lesbian relationship. How often do we see Drag King? And I was, I was loving it. Loving Sally's it. Drag Absolutely. King was, Sally Reed, um Drag King was outstanding. And also, Lauren, a two, a two, in two her. In the, the muscle suits. <gasps> Hannah and Daisy, yes, yes, yes. It was, yeah. oh, I was living for it. Living I was, for it. I, as well, because things like that give me hope. I'm like, because I always kind of think there's no chance my work is ever going to be taken seriously. And I kind of see things like that. And I'm like, I'm like this is really good. This, yeah. is, this is absolutely I, why I need no, to... No, a gay man who gave a panto over to six females and had drag and um, had a lesbian relationship at the heart of it. Yeah. But I remember I remember going to see that panto and just being like, all right. Like I just remember being a bit downhearted and then kick myself up the arcs like like all this kind of like queer culture that could, could yeah. be put on stage um would makes really great art and I need to like keep fighting for that. So I absolutely do. And, and look at the audience me. at the end of it, like they were so invested in that relationship. But also, I like after that, and um, just totally loving Johnny McNight. Um, a funny story <laughs> to anyone was uh, that I had an issue in my car, and I couldn't, I couldn't get in the doors, none of the, <laughs> on the doors, like just stop working. In your car? In my car, um, so I could only get in via the boot. <gasps> and I had, I just had such a fucker of a day where I was working at NTS. I went there and I kind of closed my, my driver's door, but it didn't close properly. Then I couldn't open it again from the outside. So to climb back in to open the door to close it again, mm-hmm. I my dungarees. And I'd only just started there. So I like had a massive hole like right down the bum of my dungarees. I had to go to the costume department and be like, I'm sorry, I've never met any of you that are in here today. Can someone please sew up the bum of my dungarees because I'm walking my bum out? And weirdly, the costume department NTS is like all a window at the front of it. Just standing in my boxers in front of the car park. The people coming in. Just like, what a day? But anyway, so then, then one of the people I worked with was at the Tron later on. So I'd take my car to the Tron. And one of, two of the people I work with, actually, two of the people that I work with were there with Johnny McKnight. I'm right, mate, Met Johnny. Every, right. Great. Great. They, at the end of the night, I went, I went back into my car and Ruth, who was with Johnny, who was giving Johnny a lift home, was two cars in front of me. So her and Johnny are like, hi, Hi, hi you enjoy the show? Um, this is my car. I'm not actually breaking into someone else's car, though I am going through the boot. <laughs> like... It was mortifying. Absolutely mortifying. My doors are broken, guys. My doors are broken. But after finally, finally speaking, I'd, I'd met Johnny McKnight before in a workshop, thing. think. You see that way where you kind of expect someone not to remember you, so you're like, mm. oh, I've never met before. Um, but I know exactly who you are, and I can tell you exactly when I met you and exactly what you said. But <laughs> so that'd probably be weird, so I'm just going to I'm just gonna pretend like this is our first introduction. So that, the... the, the the first night where I just pretended in case he didn't remember me and I didn't get that was also <laughs> <laughs> the night I had to climb through the boot of my car in front of him Nellie Kelly boot climber <laughs> yeah. that's, I feel like that's a good place to end it <laughs> I think that's a perfect place to end it
1: Nellie literally Louise has already said it but you are a freaking joy
0: and I love you thank you so much for being on the podcast Guys, as
1: always, stay nasty.